Well, because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. We're going through the whole book of Proverbs this morning. We've done an overview of Ruth, we've done an overview of Psalms, and now we're doing an overview here of Proverbs. So it's on page 554 in the Pew Bible. So if you don't have your own Bible, there's a black Pew Bible Bible in the chair in front of you, and turn to page 554, you'll find the book of Proverbs. We're going to begin here in chapter 1. I will read verses 1 through 7. We will pray, and then we'll look again at at this introduction to the Proverbs as we introduce the sermon this morning. So here then the word of the Lord. I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 on page 554. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity. For teaching shrewdness, to the inexperienced or to the simple or gullible. Knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase learning. Let a discerning person obtain guidance for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom. Father, it's our prayer now that we would learn wisdom and discipline, that we would grow in understanding insightful sayings and receive prudent instruction. We pray that we would grow in righteousness, justice, and integrity, that we would learn shrewdness, for we are inexperienced, gullible, simple-minded And we still have some folly in our hearts, as Lance led us in confession. We pray that you give us knowledge and discretion, especially that we might teach our younger brothers and sisters these things. May we listen and increase learning. May we discern and obtain guidance. Help us to fear your greatness, your goodness, your glory, your majesty, your love. And may we, in fearing and loving and trusting you, begin to grow in knowledge and wisdom and discipline. Teach us the book of Proverbs. Give us an overview of it, Father, in such a way that transforms our minds, our hearts, and our feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Side note before we begin, um, we normally have a piece of paper in here, but there are... um, Pizza, uh, sheets of paper in the back um, in the, at the table if you want to take notes. We're going through the whole book here of Proverbs. So I begin with a question. How, how do you boil a frog in a kettle? How do you do it? You can't just throw him in boiling water because if you throw a frog into the boiling water, it will what? It will jump out. But if you put a frog in nice, cold, refreshing water, maybe on a hot day, he might like to cool off in there. And then you put the kettle on the stove and you slowly turn up the heat and then you know it gets warm and it feels good and then it feels like a jacuzzi pretty much after a while you know he's swimming around in a nice jacuzzi slowly turning the heat up he's relaxing there and then by the time the water starts boiling he won't have the strength to jump out because his strength would have been sapped by then that's how you boil a frog in a kettle 
You do it slowly. You do it in a way that the frog is unaware that he is being boiled to death. We are like frogs, and this world is like a kettle. It's like a kettle, and the water is seeking to boil us. So we want to discern and make sure we stay away from danger. The problem is that we often don't even realize we're going down the path of danger because the kettle is cooking slowly and subtly. We're so used to the way we lived our lives. Remember last week we talked from Psalm 19 about how there are hidden faults and the reason we are insensitive to sin or the reason we're blind to sin is not because it's small sin, but because we're so used to doing it that we don't even notice it. Slowly boiling in the kettle. And then if you think about that reality, that's, that feels kind of scary. That there could be some big sins or just sins in my life that I'm unaware of that is leading me on a path of destruction all the while I think I'm walking down the path of righteousness and holiness and refuge in the Lord. And in that fear, we might fear that we're going to look back and regret how we were blind to what we could have seen if we would have just listened, if we would have just been more teachable, if we would have sought wisdom rather than assumed we already knew better. So will Satan and the world and our sin slowly boil us and kill us without us even knowing it because we've been going to church every Sunday? Or will we wisely find our way through this dangerous, sinful, and foolish world? The good news is that God wants to help us this morning. He wants to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and feelings to feel the danger we are in. And so we look here at Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. I just read it for you. We read in verse um, 2 that the Proverbs are for learning wisdom. It's for learning wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we have a book, the book of Proverbs, to give us wisdom, to give us understanding, to give us knowledge. What is wisdom, biblically speaking? What is wisdom? Some of you have heard definitions of wisdom. What, what are some definitions of wisdom you've heard? Biblical wisdom. John. Okay, so, so knowledge, knowing it and then actually practicing it and doing it. So not knowledge alone, not just doing things by sheer habit, but knowing what's going on and then doing it. That's a good functional definition. That's what I grew up with. Applied knowledge, right? That's what wisdom is. Let me give you um, a... Let me, let me take that definition and then give you a biblical context for it because um, Proverbs 1.7 demands that we add God to the definition somewhere, right? Because it says the fear of who? The fear of the Lord. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. So if the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, God has to be somewhere in the middle of that definition. So here's, I'll take um, John's definition, which is my definition, a lot of people's definition, applied knowledge, and put God in it. So here's, what, here's how I would define wisdom. Wisdom is... Functionally understanding how you relate to God and the rest of creation. It's functionally understanding how you relate to God and the rest of creation. Or how we relate to God and the rest of creation. So it is applied knowledge, but what do you know? What are you knowing and applying? You are knowing how you relate to God. You're knowing how you relate to other people. You're knowing how you relate to the rest of creation. You know, uh, land, water, just, you know, everything that you're in, the context you're in, and you're, you're applying it. It's functional because you know it so well that you see the foolishness and the danger of doing something stupid or foolish 
or sinful. Okay, so it's functionally understanding how we relate to God and the rest of creation. In other words, wisdom is about understanding relationships. A fool disconnects his actions from God. It doesn't have anything to do with God. I didn't even know God was in the picture. That's exactly the problem, that you didn't know God was in the picture. I I was unintentional. I, I wasn't trying to dishonor God. That's exactly the point. You've ignored God. You have cut off, you, you misunderstand the relationship of how what you have done and what you're doing relates to God and to other people and the rest of creation. So in other words, wisdom is an understanding of how to be a human in God's world. So Adam and Eve were put in God's garden. They were made in God's image. To be made in God's image is to be made as a thinker who gets God's words and then takes God's words and then applies it to a million different situations, understanding how God's word relates to God and to a Sunday morning gathering. And then after we close in prayer and then you leave, how it relates to that. And then when you get in a car and you get in a fight with your, your spouse or someone else, how does, God, how does that relate to God and to the world and to that spouse right in that moment? And then you see a car accident, or then, and then you look at your budget for the month, and you're a little bit behind, or you're a little bit ahead. And how, do you, how does that relate to God and the rest of creation in that moment? There's a million situations you're going to go through, a million thoughts that are going to cross your mind even this week. And the question is, will you have God's wisdom? Will you know how it relates to God, to others, and to the rest of creation? Well, look at Proverbs 8, 32 to 36. Go to Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8.32 says this, And now, son, my sons, listen to me. Those who keep my ways are what? Proverbs 8.32, Those who keep my ways are? Happy. Listen to the instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Here's the goal of all, of all wisdom. Anyone who listens to me is what? Happy, watching at my doors every day, waiting by the posts of my doorway. So you're happy and you're waiting next to who? Whose posts? Whose doorway? Oh, that's God's or really wisdom's. And then verse 35, for the one who finds me, who finds me wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from who? The Lord. But the one who misses me harms himself. All who hate me, all who hate wisdom, love what? Death. So if you are wise, you will have life and favor from God and peace. And if you hate wisdom, you will have death and destruction and foolishness and sin. This is the path of life versus the path of death. This is of having favor with God as your ally or God as your enemy. God as your savior or God as your judge. Wisdom or foolishness. Happiness or frustration and destruction and disaster in your life. That's the goal of wisdom. It's going to put you on one of the two paths. Because if wisdom is relating to God and creation perfectly, when did, when did humans ever experience that? Where? In the Garden of Eden, right? That's where wisdom is. In the Garden of Eden, before sin, there were perfect relationships. Adam and Eve, perfect marriage. No sin. So no, no sinful arguing. Maybe disagreeing, but no sinful arguing. Perfect relationship with God. Perfect relationship with the other animals and all of creation. He understood and experienced that. That's what the Bible calls in the Old Testament shalom. A peace, not just inner peace, holistic peace. Inner peace, outer peace, global peace, universal peace, theological relationship with God peace. Peace everywhere, in every aspect, every direction. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom says, I understand how this world works, and I know how to live in harmony with the nature and order that God intended it to be. And if you do that... The end goal is you experience that. 
not just in this life, but ultimately when Christ returns. And if you don't, if you reject wisdom, then you are ending up in disaster. All right, so what's the main idea this morning? Here's the main goal. The main goal of the sermon, the main goal of Proverbs, I think, is this. It is want, want wisdom more than anything and work out wisdom in everything, okay? Want wisdom more than anything and work out wisdom in everything so that you enjoy life in this world before God, our creator. Okay, want wisdom more than anything and work out wisdom in everything so that you enjoy life in this world and in the world to come before Yahweh, our God and creator. All right, so I have two points for the sermon this morning. Want wisdom, Proverbs 1 through 9, and work out wisdom, Proverbs 10 through 31. All right, so let's go with point one. Want wisdom. You should want wisdom. You should desire wisdom. Why? Why should you want wisdom? Five reasons from Proverbs 1 through 9. Obviously, I'm not going verse by verse because we only have like 35 minutes left, so we're, gonna, we're not going to go there. But um, let me give you five reasons from Proverbs 1 through 9 why you should want wisdom. Here's reason number one. Because wisdom is graciously calling out to you. Wisdom is graciously calling out to you. Do you realize that God doesn't have to call out to you? Wisdom doesn't have to call out to you. She, Lady Wisdom doesn't have to offer you her services. But she does. Go to Proverbs 9. We're going to get this whole point from Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9, verse 1. Listen to the call of wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her female servants. She calls out from the highest points of the city. Whoever is in experience, enter here. There's the call. Come in. To the one who lacks sense, she says, come, eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave inexperience behind and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. The one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you rebuke the wise and he will love you instruct the wise and he will be wiser still teach the righteous and he will learn more the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy one is understanding for by me this is lady wisdom calling for by me your days will be many and years will be added to your life you'll enjoy life before god in this world if you are wise you are wise for your own benefit for your own benefit If you mock, you alone will bear the consequences. There's lady wisdom calling out to you. Why should you want wisdom? Because God is offering it to you. He's giving you an opportunity. And this opportunity does not last forever. Not only that, but and why do you need to listen to wisdom as it's calling out to you? Because as wisdom is graciously calling out to you, guess what's always calling out to you? You don't need grace for this. Folly is calling out to you. Look at verse 13. Folly is a rowdy woman. She is gullible and knows nothing. She sits by the doorway of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their paths. Here's her call. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. So you have two women saying, enter here, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten secretly is tasty, isn't it? Hide it from people. But he doesn't know, the one who goes there, he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, the place of the dead. That's the place of death. Foolishness is calling out in this world every day, right? 24-7, just turn on your TV, go on the internet, look at social media, look at the news, look at what people are saying in the world today. Foolishness is calling and crying out incessantly. 
And then you hear a little voice, which should be a big voice of wisdom saying, enter here, have life. So the first reason why you should get wisdom is because wisdom is graciously calling out to you and she doesn't have to, but God is being gracious to you. You need to recognize that. Secondly, second reason why you need to want wisdom is because wisdom guards you. Wisdom guards you. Look at Proverbs 2, 11. Proverbs 2, 11 through 16. It says this, discretion will watch over you. There's the guarding of you. And understanding will guard you. Verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. It will rescue you from the way of evil, from anyone who says perverse things, from those who abandon the right paths to walk in the ways of darkness. It'll guard you from those who enjoy doing evil and celebrate perversion. It'll guard you from those whose paths are crooked and whose ways are devious. It will rescue you from a forbidden woman, from a wayward woman with her flattering talk. What does wisdom guard you from? It guards you from, it guards you from evil, evil actions. It guards you from evil people. It guards you from evil desires in your heart that will lead you astray into sinful things that, that um, like the forbidden woman. It doesn't just, it's not just her on the outside. It's the lust on the inside that creates the opportunity for the action on the outside. Wisdom guards you from evil, evil people, and evil inner desires and opportunities that will come your way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, want wisdom more than anything. Amen. And I'm getting this want wisdom more than anything from chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding. Furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding. So if you call out, if you seek it like what? Silver and search for it like hidden treasure. Then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. If someone said, you, you know Blaze Pizza um, this past week, LeBron James, King James is with the Laker, uh, Na- Laker Nation now, praise the Lord, answered prayers. Um, but he gave free pizza for, uh, was it on Tuesday? Free pizza from 2 to 5, and like at, at Culver City, there were, 50, was it 50,000 people out there for free pizza? If you seek wisdom like you seek a free Blaze pizza, God will give you wisdom. People will line up for, I mean, what if we said, what if someone said, for everyone who comes through from two to five, we'll give them $10,000. You think people will line up? Right? I mean, how many people will come out? Because you seek silver, you seek gold, but you seek wisdom like that? What if someone said, hey, free Bible study from two to five on Tuesday? It'll be accurate biblical teaching that will feed your soul. How many people line up there? Nobody will line up there, right? I mean, who's, who's seeking that? But that's what, but it's because we're fools. We're like frogs in a kettle boiling without even realizing it. Our values are so backwards. And so we need, we need wisdom because it's calling out to you and we need to want it more than anything. The third reason why, so it guards you, it calls out to you. The third reason why is because it's practical for everyday life. That's chapter six. It's practical for finances, work ethic, manipulation of other people, sins, seduction. I'm not jumping into that now because that's the second point of the sermon, but I'm just telling you that's why you should want it because it's practical. It's not just theoretical knowledge. It's the third reason why you should want wisdom more than anything. A fourth reason why you should want wisdom more than money and more than food, and more than everything else, is because wisdom brings you happiness. I just read it to you from Proverbs 8, right? The one who gets wisdom will be happy. You'll have favor from God. And the reason you'll be happy is because you'll get God. And God is the greatest treasure, right? The psalmist says, whom have I in heaven but thee? 
And there's no one on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and heart may fail, but Yahweh, the Lord, is my portion forever. If I have God, I have everything. If I don't have God, give me the world, and it's not enough, right? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It's, if you get the whole world, it's too small. I'd rather have Jesus than to be a king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. It'll make you happy because Jesus is your greatest treasure, Christian or non-Christian. That's just the fact. That's the fourth reason why you should pursue wisdom because it brings you happiness. And fifthly, lastly, and this is tied, I just actually leaked into it. It's because you enjoy Yahweh. You'll enjoy God through enjoying wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5 through 12 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Why? Here's, here's the happiness. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions, like we did with our giving here, and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Don't despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and don't loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. God will give you wisdom. God will give you himself, and you will enjoy him. So, I already told you, 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 you need to seek wisdom for those five reasons. Let me recap. Because God's calling you graciously. Wisdom's calling you because wisdom guards you. Because wisdom is practical. Because wisdom brings you happiness. And because wisdom brings you God. So what should you do? Store it up the way you store up money. When you get more money, when you get your paycheck, what do you do with it? Do you just kind of cash it, get the cash, and just kind of let it sit wherever it wants to be? I mean, just kind of spread the money out. doesn't matter where it goes. Is that what you do with your money? No, we usually deposit it in a bank. We store it up, don't we? We store it up and we take care of it. Or you might store it at home under a mattress or in a safe or something. But the point is, you don't just take money and you just put it wherever, right? You don't do that. You store it in a place because it's what? It's valuable and you want to build on it. That's how wisdom is. So when, it goes, when I go back to Proverbs 2 and it says, store up my commands with you, Proverbs 2, 1, store it up the way you store up money. Money is accounted for, it's protected. Store up wisdom like that. Account for what you're growing in and protect it. In, in Proverbs 2, 2, it says, listen closely to wisdom. Listen closely to wisdom the way an Angelino living in LA reads very carefully the parking signs. You know what I'm talking about? Have you lived in LA? I lived in LA. When you live in L.A., you learn how to read parking signs because you could get, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's how you give tithes to the city of Los Angeles. <laughs> tithes and offering, it's through, the, it's through parking tickets because, because if you just read it wrong, you know, you, they're on top of it over there. And so you have to learn how to read all the intricacies of the time and the, the day and, you know, the hours and, when, and the parking, the, even the meters. You learn how to read signs carefully because you want to save money. All the more we ought to read and listen carefully to God's words. It says in Proverbs 2, 2, direct your heart to understanding. You know, your heart flows with um, direction. So, so direct your heart. When you have desires for God, strengthen it. When you have desires for other things, weaken it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it for your courts above. And then it says here in Proverbs 2, 3, here's another way of applying it. How should you seek out wisdom? Call out to it for insight and lift your voice to understanding. 
call out to wisdom. There's a story in Mark 10 of, a, of blind Bartimaeus. Do you know the story of blind Bartimaeus? He's blind and he's calling out. He's with a crowd and he's been blind for a long time and he hears that Jesus is coming. And he's heard about Jesus because most blind people have heard about Jesus because they heard other blind people have been, have been given their sight. And so he hears a crowd and he's like, what's going on? What's going on? They're like, oh, Jesus is coming. Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth, the one who's healing the blind people? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David. He starts shouting like crazy. He doesn't care about the crowd. People tell him to be quiet, shut your mouth. Be quiet, shut your mouth. Even the disciples are telling him to shut his mouth. He doesn't care. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops. And the disciples say, oh, he stopped. Go ahead. First they're like, be quiet, be quiet. Oh, okay, go, go, go. Yeah, he wants you. So they bring him, and then Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Why? How did he get, there's a lot of blind people who weren't healed. What was the difference? What did he do? He cried out for it. Is that what you do with wisdom? You call out for it, even if it's embarrassing to other people, because you don't care? Because you're like a blind person who needs sight at any cost, that you don't care who's mad at you, who, who, um, who opposes you, who stands in your way, you're just going to shout over them because you cry out for wisdom. You need to want it more than everything, more than anything, Amen. and seek it like treasure. We already talked about that. So brothers and sisters, church family, meditate on the scriptures. Read it and get on your face before God and pray that he gives you wisdom. Church family, as Bethany Baptist Church, what does this mean for our community? It means for us that we need to celebrate wisdom and God's word. We need to affirm it. We need to affirm wisdom. We need to model a community that seeks wisdom and multiplying. We need to be a community of wise people. Not wise in an arrogant looking down on others, but a community that is seeking wisdom. We need to be a community of wisdom seekers where we ask questions, we share knowledge, we share insight, we disagree with each other, we, we challenge each other and we press on each other and we're not offended by that. That's how we grow. Amen. That needs to be our church family characterized by those who seek wisdom in having meaningful, even disagreeable conversation because we want to grow. If you're not a Christian, my question for you is this. Would you really want to know the truth even if it meant flipping your life around? Would you really want true happiness even if it demanded repentance from your greatest treasure so that you can have the actual greatest treasure, namely Jesus? The offer of wisdom is offered out to you as well. If you will have wisdom, if you're not a Christian and you want true wisdom to live in this world the way God intended it to be lived in relationships to everyone around you, then come to Jesus Christ. What about you, children? Children, what do you want? Do you want more toys or games or freedom from parents, freedom from some rules in the house? Want wisdom more. Parents, do you want well-behaved kids or successful kids? Want wisdom more. Spouses, do you want your spouse to change? Want wisdom for yourself more. Singles, do you want to get married? Or do you want more enjoyable expressions of your freedom and singleness? Want wisdom for yourself more. Employees, do you want a vacation or a raise? Nothing wrong with that. But want wisdom for yourself more. Students, do you want good grades or do you want to have graduated? Want wisdom for yourself more. Retirees, senior saints, do you want to go back to the past? Do you want health from the past? Want wisdom for yourself more. If you're discouraged or weak or stubborn in your sin, 
Is your desire low for God and wisdom? Or is your desire for wisdom completely gone? Does sin or passivity seem like the only way forward? Run to Jesus for help. Ask for prayer today. God hears. Jesus cares. He's calling to you right now to stoke a desire in you that's non-existent so that you would want wisdom more. And for our society at large, wisdom begins with God. Our world needs to understand that it is impossible to think someone wise when he marginalizes God and his word. It's impossible to be wise when you ignore God. So brothers and sisters, want wisdom more than anything and work out wisdom in everything so that you enjoy life in this world and in the world to come with God and with others. All right, so point one was want wisdom more than anything. Point two, work out wisdom in everything. Work out wisdom in everything. It's not enough to know. Wisdom is functional knowledge. It's the difference between having a PhD in parenting from the University of Southern California. I got a PhD in parenting. And being an actually being a, a good parent, right? <laughs> you can have a PhD in parenting and be a horrible parent. Or you could be a high school graduate and be a good parent. Because parenting is not merely theoretical. I'm not, nothing against PhDs, but that's research-based for, for theory. And it's good. We need that in our culture. But that's not, that's not what we're talking about with wisdom. That's, we're talking about how that wisdom is actually applied to, to life situations in the right way related to God and others. That's wisdom. Amen. All right, brothers. So, so we need to walk in wisdom. All right, sisters, we need to work out wisdom in everything. So when you read Proverbs 10 through 31, I'm not going to go through all the verses, obviously. I see several different themes of where we need to work out wisdom. So I'm just going to give you some, some of the major themes, and I'll walk through them and read a bunch of verses from each one. Um, I don't know how many categories I have here, maybe 10. So let me just read. So teachability is one. Righteousness is two. Uh, self-control, three. Discipline, four. Family wisdom, five. Um, that's parenting and marriage. Friends, that's six. Words, work ethic, wealth. You don't have to write all this down. I could even send you guys the notes for the church family. Society and the poor. Um, how you treat the king, or for us, the president. Fearing the Lord and life. Okay, so those are just a bunch of different categories. I'm just gonna, just, just, the point is, I want you to feel all of it at once. Why are we doing this in one sermon or half a sermon? Because it's good to read these one by one and do a sermon on each category, but it's also good to just feel it all at one time. Just like highlighting maybe a few verses from each category, okay? So that's what I'm gonna do here. So work out wisdom in everything. Like what? Like in being teachable. Here's the beginning, I think, of wisdom. As I read through Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom in fearing God is being teachable. So listen to Proverbs fifteen twelve. A mocker doesn't love the one who corrects him. He will not consult the wise. He doesn't ask for their opinions. Proverbs fourteen six. A mocker seeks wisdom and doesn't find it, but knowledge comes easily to the perceptive. Okay, so I had a I had a problem with this proverb. There's a problem here. A mocker seeks wisdom and does not find it. What did Proverbs 2 say? If you seek for wisdom, you will what? Find it because God is generous and he'll give it to you. But here it says if a mocker seeks wisdom, he won't find it. Why won't he find it? I thought those who seek wisdom find it. Well, some seek it. When a mocker seeks wisdom, is he seeking it to actually relate to God and others well or for his own self-centered goals? Well, Proverbs 13.1 gives us the answer. A wise son responds to his father's discipline, but a mocker doesn't listen to rebuke. 
He wants to use even biblical wisdom for his own self-centered gains. Christians here, brothers and sisters, look up here for a second. As you learn the Bible, you need to be very careful. I'm talking to myself more than anyone else here. As you learn the Bible more and more, you can use it for selfish, self-centered gains. So me and Francis would be fighting, and she'd be like, don't use that theology on me. You know, I know you know the Bible better than me. That doesn't mean you're right in this, in this um, fight. And she's right, oftentimes. Because you could even try to use the Bible to defend your selfish, self-centered ends. So a mocker might seek wisdom, but he doesn't find it. Why? Because he doesn't use it for being rebuked and repenting. He uses it as an excuse and to, to put others down. So we need to be teachable where we need to be accepting rebuke. Proverbs 15, 14 says, A discerning mind seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. So when you go online, is there a lot of foolishness online and on, in, on TV? Yes. Is there a lot of knowledge as well? Yes. So seek knowledge. Go online and get knowledge. Don't go online and meander feeding on foolishness. Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. So if you're going to be teachable, get advice from other people. You have a whole church family here to get advice from. Ask them for their opinion. Ask them for their take on things. Don't only ask the people you know will agree with you. That's a sign of a fool, a mocker. Proverbs 18, 2, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinions. In conversations, he's always the one talking. Doesn't really ask que- he only asks questions to talk more. Not really because he wants to know what the other person thinks. Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a person who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. He doesn't see it. He's not teachable. Proverbs 18, 1, this is important for us as a church family, so listen to this one. One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. When you isolate yourself from people, you pursue selfishness. You rebel against sound wisdom. It's not because the community has all wisdom and the community never gets things wrong, but isolation is a marker of selfish ambition. That's why God commands Christians to gather on Sundays, right? Or in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Why do we talk about church membership? And if you're a member of this church or you're not a member of this church, we say you need to join a church and not just attend a church. Because when you just attend a church, you can leave whenever you want. But if you're a member of this church or a church that takes membership seriously, can you leave whenever you want? No, because people will call you and say, where are you? Because a fool isolates himself. He does what he wants when he wants and no one can tell him he's wrong. Church families, Baptist churches, churches that take membership seriously, we stand against that directly when we say, what church are you part of? Why are you not committed to a church? Why are you isolating yourself when you make your decisions? That's selfish. So gather with your church family and have meaningful friendships. Don't just come and leave without having meaningful conversations. Maybe I should ask it this way. I don't want to go too far on this first one because there's like 10 other categories. But when was the last time someone corrected you? And you were thankful to them for it. You actually thanked your fellow church member because you opened yourself up. They corrected you and disagreed with you. And you were grateful to them. Maybe even not right away. That's okay because I'm proud. Sometimes I can't admit it the first day. Like I got to sleep on it sometimes. I might come back to you the next day and say, you know what, brother or sister, thank you for what you said. If, you've, if you haven't been rebuked by anyone in the church lately, could it be that your relationships are not open enough? That might be why. Anyways. Let's move on to the second one. Righteousness. Uh, wisdom means, working out wisdom every day means being righteous. Proverbs eleven three: the integrity of the upright guides them, but the perversity, perversity of the treacherous destroys them. 
Proverbs 13, 6, righteousness guards people of integrity. Integrity means that you're whole. You're not a hypocrite. You're the same, same person with the same relationship to God and others wherever you go. But wickedness undermines the sinner. Integrity means you don't have a church version of yourself and then a home version of yourself and then a work version of yourself and a school version of yourself and a neighborhood version of yourself and they're not even recognizable to each other. Integrity means you're righteous everywhere. You fear God and love people everywhere. Proverbs 29, 6, an evil person is caught by sin, but the righteous one sings and rejoices. So to be righteous doesn't mean, by the way, brothers and sisters, righteousness does not mean you never do wrong. Proverbs 29 says, who can say I have kept my heart pure and I am cleansed from my sin? Anyone, can anyone here say they've kept their heart completely pure in the last 365 days? No one can say that. So what do we need? We need what? Forgiveness for our sins, right? Amen. And so Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says this. The one who conceals his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. His mercy is more. More than our sins. If you conceal your sins, you conceal your weaknesses and your temptations from everyone, you will not prosper. When you confess your sins and renounce them, you find mercy. The big lie that makes you hide your sin is the fact that you think when you confess it, you're not going to get mercy. And that's a lie from Satan. The one who truly repents and, and confesses will always find mercy, even if they have to deal with the consequences. So confess your sins, brothers and sisters. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. Get out in front of it and learn from it rather than acting like you know the best way forward. We talked last week a little bit about a pastor theologian that I looked up to, right, who, was committing, who committed adultery at least on two different occasions with two different women. It would have been, he got caught. It would have been better if he would have confessed it. And that doesn't mean he's qualified as a pastor anymore, but it would have been better if he had a habit of confessing sins rather than getting caught in sins, right? Rather than concealing it. The secret to wise and righteous living is not perfection or pretending. The secret to wise and righteous living is repenting and trusting and obeying. Okay? The secret to wisdom and righteousness is not perfection or pretending. It is repenting and trusting and obeying. So that's righteousness. Self-control. Just a few verses on self-control. Proverbs 14, 29. A patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. How's your temper? Proverbs fifteen eighteen. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one slow to anger calms strife. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight, a person who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. He's got no defense. You can manipulate those types of people, especially in sports, right? When people talk trash in sports, you try to get them angry because if you could get them angry and off of their game, then you could take advantage of them. Proverbs twenty nine eleven, a fool gives full vent to his anger, explosions of anger, outbursts of anger, but a wise person holds that outburst in check. Doesn't give full vent, holds it in check. Proverbs 20, 22. Don't say, I will avenge this evil. Wait on the Lord and he will rescue you. See, the key to self-control and patience is not just merely accepting injustice. It's trusting the Lord to have vengeance and not doing it yourself. That's self-control. Fourthly, another aspect of working out wisdom in everything is discipline. 
What I mean by discipline is corrective discipline. Proverbs 10, 13, wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of the one who lacks sense. Some people say spanking is not, is not the right thing to do to children today. Well, we're going to get to parenting in a second, but the whole concept, is, the larger concept is that discipline and correction and punishment is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but the one who hates correction is stupid. Proverbs 12.1. Proverbs 19.25, strike a mocker and the inexperienced will learn a lesson. Striking teaches. Rebuke the discerning and he gains knowledge. So whenever we spank our children and they say, it hurts, we always say, don't say that. Not that it doesn't hurt. We always say, say, sin hurts. That's what it is. Sin hurts. And so when you, you get struck, you're learning a lesson. Sin always hurts. A wise person doesn't need to get spanked physically to learn that because they see the relationship. So one time, Francis and I were in a fight because of my sin, and I was sitting in my son's room, and he said, are you okay, Dad? Yeah, I'm okay. Or what's wrong? Why are you sad? And I said, God is spanking me. And he's all, eyes got huge. Like, what? Does it hurt? I'm like, yeah, it hurts more than when I spank you. And I said, it's a, it's a different way. It's like he's spanking my heart. He's spanking my soul. It's like, you know, but oh, why? Because if you're wise, you see how your sin relates to God and to others. But when you don't see that, that's folly. When you're oblivious to the breaking of your relationship that sin causes, you're a fool. You're blind. But when you get struck, you learn wisdom. Lashes and wounds purge away evil, and beatings cleanse the innermost parts. Proverbs twenty thirty. I'm not advocating for abusiveness. I'm talking about controlled, wise administering of punishment. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. It's not only just physical. It can even be verbal. Don't answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be like him yourself. So sometimes you have to shut your mouth and ignore foolishness. The next verse says, answer a fool according to his foolishness, or he'll become wise in his own eyes. Sometimes you say, that guy's a fool. I'm not going to talk to him. Other times like, no, that guy's a fool. I need to talk to him. I need to set him straight. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better an open reprimand than concealed love. So sometimes we discipline with our words. Sometimes we discipline physically, depending on, or sometimes even here in our culture, we discipline by reporting it to the police. Right? We discipline by going to the authorities. Church and Christians are not supposed to exercise, you know, enforce the law in that regard. If they're breaking a law, we need to go to the law because that's how wisdom is made, by actual accountability. What about family wisdom? Does the Proverbs say, is there any wisdom for family issues? Yes. What about for marriage? Well, before marriage, what about just, now Solomon's talking to his son, so he's going to talk about women. And so he says this to his son in Proverbs eleven twenty two: A beautiful woman who rejects good sense is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. So he's telling his son, son, don't be enamored by a woman's outward beauty as whatever the culture in that moment defines beauty. If she doesn't have good sense, she's like a gold ring in a pig's snout. Proverbs 23, 26 to 28 says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit and a wayward woman is a narrow well. Indeed, she sets an ambush like a robber and increases the number of unfaithful people. So even before you get married, singles, you know, are you looking for someone who's wise? Are you careful for these traps that will trap you into sin and, and sexual immorality? Proverbs 12.4, a wife of noble character. Now, what about women? What does what, what a godly woman look like? What does a godly wife look like? 
Proverbs 12.4, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a wife who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Proverbs 14.1, every wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Proverbs 21.19, so you could be a Proverbs 31 woman, or you could be a Proverbs 21 woman. Here's Proverbs 21.19. Better to live in a wilderness than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. That's a Proverbs 21 woman. The Proverbs 31 woman, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So it has words for marriage. What about parenting? I'm not, I'm not, you know what? For the sake of time, I'm not even going to say where the Proverbs are because you're not turning there. I'm just going to read them, okay? But they're, they're God's word, I just you know, because there's a lot here. The one who will not use the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. Grandchildren are the crown of the elderly, and the pride of children is their fathers. That's why we have a lot of kids. That's why I want to have more kids. We're going to adopt. Okay? We have five now, but people say, why do you have, you know, I mean, our culture, five kids wasn't a lot back in the day. It is now, apparently. Um, but with birth control and things like that. But people say, why do you have a lot of kids? I say, first of all, it's not a lot. But secondly, it's not about my kids. It's about my grandkids. I've got to have a lot of kids if I'm going to have a lot of grandkids. You know, I look at my kids, I'm like, I didn't have you for you. I had you for the future. I'm looking ahead. I'm looking for my grandkids. You know, uh, why? Because grandchildren are the crown of the elderly. All right, Proverbs 22.6, start a youth out on his way or train up a child in the way he should go. Start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. Don't withhold discipline from a youth. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and you will rescue his life from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will indeed rejoice. My innermost being will celebrate when your lips say what is right. Over and over in the Proverbs, you honor your parents by being wise. Friends, what does the Proverbs say about friendship? The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a difficult time. Oil and incense bring joy to the heart, and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. Better an open reprimand than concealed love. I love this. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Your best friends are the ones who rebuke you. Your best friends are the ones who call you out because they really love you. They're not playing you. When people don't rebuke you, it's because they love themselves more. And they don't want to get on your bad side because they don't care really about you growing. They care about them not feeling uncomfortable by an awkward conversation. Words. So, I mean, that's for church. We want to be that kind of church family. What about words? Does the Proverbs say things about controlling your words? The one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. Proverbs 21, 23, the one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. If one blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse on him. You can say the right thing at the wrong time. Not a good idea. Proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-three: the one who rebukes a person will later find more favor than the one who flatters with his tongue. Do you see someone who speaks too soon? There's more hope for a fool than for him. What about work ethic? Does it say some things about laziness and working hard? Yeah. There's profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to poverty. A person's gifts, a person's gift opens the doors for him. And brings him before the great. When you do your industry or you do your work with excellence, it opens doors for you. And it brings you before the great. When you don't work hard, you're not recognized for it. 
Do you see a person skilled in his work? He will stand in the presence of kings. He will not stand in the presence of the unknown. I went by the field of a slacker, a lazy person, and by the vineyard of one lacking sense. What do you think he saw when he went by a field of a lazy person? Thistles had come up everywhere. Weeds covered the ground, and the stone wall was ruined. I saw and took it to heart. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, a little checking of the social media, a little looking at the phone again, and your poverty will come like a robber, and your need, your need like a bandit. Proverbs 26, the slacker says there's a lion in the road. A lion in the public square. That's why I can't go out. I need to stay in my bed because there's a lion out there. A door turns on its hinges and a slacker on his bed. The slacker buries his hand in the bowl. He is too weary to bring it to his mouth. (laughs) That's how lazy he is. I'm so hungry. He puts his food in, but he can't even bring it to his mouth. He's so lazy. In his own eyes, a slacker is wiser than seven who can answer sensibly. The Bible says much about wealth. There's many proverbs about wealth. Anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. One person gives freely yet gains more. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. The one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will himself also call out and not be answered. The one who gives to the poor will not be in need, but the one who turns his eyes away will receive many curses. This makes me feel, this, this convicted me this week. My wife and I talked about this. Um, there was a time, I just recently, last week, driving home off the freeway, right? You go off the freeway, there's someone standing right there as you're coming out. And you, if, you know if you make eye contact, then what? You got to give. So what do you do if you're not going to give? You have to kind of like look straight. It's awkward, right? You look straight or you look in some direction, but you can't look. And what happens in that moment is, what happens in every moment, our hearts are being formed. There's a spiritual transaction going on there. I'm not saying you have to... So what we did before in France, said, well, let's do it today. We, we'd buy McDonald dollars and just have them in the glove compartment. We'd always give like, you know, some McDonald dollars to somebody to help. But the point is, we haven't done that for a while. We haven't stocked our glove compartment. And I could feel my heart hardening. I, I, I wasn't thinking about this verse yet. I read this later. But I looked back earlier in the week and I thought, dude, my heart was getting hard. Because it was awkward. When you don't give, it's not neutral to you. It's shaping you. The way you interact with the poor changes you. Better the poor person who lives with integrity than the rich who distorts right and wrong. The poor person pleads, but the rich one answers roughly. The rich answer roughly to poor people. They're annoyed. They're irritated. They're impatient. What about society, neighboring, and the poor? For society, when the righteous thrive, a city rejoices. When the wicked die, there's joyful shouting. A society, a city is built up by the blessing of the upright, but it's torn down by the mouth of the wicked. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And there's several proverbs here about doing righteousness and justice. It says here, if you do nothing, so if there's injustice you see in this world, here let me read to you Proverbs 24, 10 through 12. If you see injustice in this world or in, the, in your neighborhood or your society, your community, if you do nothing in a difficult time, your strength is limited. Rescue those being taken off to death and save those stumbling towards slaughter. If you say, but we didn't know about this, won't he who weighs hearts consider it? Won't he who protects your life know? Won't he repay a person according to, to his work? 
And in Proverbs 31 says, so speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. And so that's why I even posted last night on social media. That's why we need to speak up for the unborn and the ethnically oppressed. What about the king? It has several verses on a king, that a king ought to be righteous. Um, Let me just read two. If a ruler listens to lies, all his officials will be wicked. Um, A king's heart is like a channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. When a king is righteous, the nation is blessed. When a king is not, the nation is going to feel that. But remember, God is ultimately in control, right? Even of kings, presidents, vice presidents, Supreme Court justices, Congress, governors, state senators, and judges. God is in control of them all. Praise the Lord. And then lastly here, or, um, fear Yahweh. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere observing the wicked and the good. This is why you should fear God, because he sees everything. The Lord detests the wicked, but he loves the one who pursues righteousness. Here's another one why you should fear God. The Lord tears apart the house of the proud, but he protects the widow's territory. God opposes the proud. He tears them apart. He sees everything. So if you're going to be foolish and not fear God, if you're going to ignore God, God will not ignore you. Amen. He will see you and he'll see everything. Man, uh, so, so always fear the Lord and acknowledge God in everything you do. Why? This is how you get life. There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. The hope of the righteous is joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. What the wicked dreads will come to him. What the righteous desire will be given to them. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked are no more, but the righteous are secure forever. Here's how, so the point here is, if you fear God and you work out wisdom in everything, you will be blessed and have God's favor in this life and in the life to come. Now, we're going to do Job next time I preach. So I'm going to show you how that doesn't always work out in the easy life. But my point here for this week in Proverbs is that you will have God's favor in this life and in the world to come when Christ returns. You are blessed if you are wise and you are cursed if you are foolish. It's a salvation issue. I told you before about my pastor theologian friend who fell. He knew the Bible well, better than all of us here, I would assume. He knew biblical theology. He knew Bible exposition. He knew systematic theology. He knew the doctrine of transformation. He knew about confessing sin. He knew that it was important to confess sin every time you study the Bible. He even said that in an interview while he was committing adultery. He knew all of that here, but he did not work wisdom out in everything in, this, in his life. Because wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is functional knowledge of how you relate to God, to everyone around you, and to the rest of the world. It's not enough to know. It has to be functional in relationships to God first, then to everyone and everything else. If not, your 1 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2, knowledge what? Puffs up, but love builds up because love is taking knowledge and applying it to relationships. Knowledge on its own is just going to make you arrogant and more foolish. So... We need to grow in wisdom. So church family, let us be the friends and society that is working wisdom out. You know why I love being in a church rather than in a seminary or like in a university teaching? One is because I don't have, no one asks me to teach, but that's not the real point. 
the reason why I love <laughs> the reason why I love the church though is because when you read the Bible, everything has to be applied. There is no mere theory. You could debate it in school. I was in school. I'm in school. You could debate things, this view versus that view. In a church, you've got to make a decision. You can't just debate the arguments. It has to be practical because there are, there's people in front of you who are living life right now. And so um, let us be a church where we don't just grow in Bible knowledge. Now, we need to grow in Bible knowledge. May the Lord make us 10 times more knowledgeable about the Bible in this next year than we are right now. But may we work it out in our relationships in our activities, in our lives, as a church family. Name one area, here's an application to you, individual Christian. Name one area in your life where you need God's wisdom and ask him to help you fear him and follow him. Be specific, brothers and sisters. I just gave you a bunch of areas, right? Name one area where you need God's wisdom right now, this week, and ask God for it, and then ask a fellow brother or sister to help you with it. Ask them to pray for you and help you. Do you want, have you wanted wisdom more than anything? Have you lived a life of perfect wisdom and righteousness? No, you haven't. But there is someone who has, right? Isaiah 11 prophesies of this one who's going to have perfect wisdom. Let me just, let me just show you this um, as we bring this too close. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. That's David's father. A branch, will, a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Speaking about someone to come. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. A spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. His, his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge, but, he, but what, his, what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice, but what he hears with his ears. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. Their society. He will strike the land with a scepter of his mouth. He will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together and a child will lead them. The cow will bear with the cow and the bear will graze. Notice relationships here. Their young, will, their young ones will lie down together with bears. The lion and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the sea is filled with water. Who's going to bring that about? Jesus Christ. The stump of Jesse. Descendant of Jesse, descendant of David. Solomon wrote the Proverbs to who? To his son. To his next king. Hey, king, son, you're going to reign next. You need wisdom. Who's the one who got perfect wisdom? Jesus Christ. So it says in Luke 2.52, as Jesus was growing older, that he grew in wisdom and stature in favor with man and with God. Jesus grew in wisdom. In Matthew 12.42, he says that someone greater than Solomon is here. In 1 Corinthians 1.24, it says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the Messiah son. He's the wise king's son who took the king's wisdom and applied it. He, he um, wanted wisdom more than anything, and he worked out wisdom in absolutely everything. Amen. With every single moment of his life, he always perfectly acknowledged God and that relationship to him, to everyone around him, and to the rest of creation. And then he died like a fool. He died like a mocker. He died like a sinner. He died like an unrighteous one for our sins. And then he rose from the dead. And now he is the king, 
Messiah, sage, wise one who teaches us to trust in his wisdom. Actually, he's the wisdom who became flesh. He's the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he says in Matthew 11, all who are weary and heavy laden come to me and I will give you rest. I praise you, Father, that you hide your wisdom from the arrogant and you reveal yourself to babies. The hungry, Jesus said. In Colossians 2, 2 to 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And that's why Paul says in Colossians 1, we proclaim Christ so that we teach you in all wisdom. So what should we do? If Jesus is the one who fulfilled all wisdom and now he is the wise person who's going to bring this peaceful, wise world into existence in the end, what should we do? We should trust in Jesus, right? If you're not a Christian, Jesus is the wise person who will give you wisdom. If you repent from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, acknowledge God as your creator whom you sinned against and who is your judge who will condemn you and that Jesus was judged for you instead of you being judged and then Jesus rose from the dead as the king Messiah and wise one, you will be saved. Trust in Jesus and repent from your sins. Now, if you're a Christian, what does this mean for you? It means James 1, 5, 8. If anyone lacks wisdom, he should what? Ask God who gives to all generously and it will be given to him. So ask him. Children, ask your parents how you can learn more and more and thank your parents for discipline. Parents, teach your kids by your words and humble teachability. Family members and employees, work out wisdom in your home and at work. Single people, work out your wisdom in singleness and in dating and in pursuing marriage or refraining from it. Retirees, work out wisdom in where you find contentment in your old age and how you can wisely teach younger generations your wisdom. Those who are doing well, continue to work out your wisdom and figure out how to help others. And those who are struggling and are discouraged, God wants to help you have wisdom. That's why he gave you a church family, to work it out and to grow in. So want wisdom more than anything and work out wisdom in or work wisdom out in everything. If you don't, you'll be a fool really believing you're wise. Your end will be destruction and disillusionment and you'll be frustrated, empty, and constantly needing distraction from the dissonance of this world. And you might end up in destruction. But if you want wisdom more than anything and work out wisdom in everything, you'll get wisdom and you'll grow in it. Your wisdom will spill over to other areas of your life. If you work on one, one area first, it will spill over. And you will enjoy drawing near to God, not merely as biblical knowledge, but as your creator king, whom you are meant to love, enjoy, and reflect in all of life. So brothers and sisters, friends, don't be the frog in the kettle, slowly boiling to death because you don't think you need wisdom today or this week. So you don't need to ask anyone. You need God. You need his word. You need his people. So ask. Want wisdom more than anything. Work out wisdom in everything so that you can enjoy God in this world and in the world to come. Father, take the book of Proverbs and hide it in our hearts that we would not sin against you. And when we do, we pray that we would repent, that we would trust in the wise King Jesus, that we would confess our sins, and that we would get help from others. So make us a wise people. May your spirit, the spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom, powerfully fill us and may your word dwell in us richly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.